Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Good evening. It is so good to be here with you tonight to worship with you guys and to uh, open the word together tonight. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Josh. Obviously, I've just been commissioned as an elder candidate, uh, but I'm also on the preaching team here, and it's an absolute privilege uh, to bring the word tonight. Can I just get a show of hands, those of you that are parents? Just raise your hand if you've got a child, multiple children. There's a few parents in the room. Do you find, as parents, that you repeat yourself uh, when, you're, when you're speaking to your children? Is, is, that, is that something that we find? A few nods. Sit up straight. Don't talk with your mouth full. Say please, say thank you, tuck your shirt in, shut the door if you've gone outside, turn off the light, are you paying the electricity? And these were the, just some of the many things I heard over and over and over again uh, from my parents as a child. How many times would my parents need to say these very same things before I would listen? You're probably asking yourselves, those of you who are parents, how many times do I have to tell my child these things before they will just get it? If you've been here in the past few weeks, you'd know that uh, we've been journeying together through the book of Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah, he had 60 years of this. My parents, thankfully, had about 16 or 17 before I got the picture. Isaiah had 60 he was commissioned with the task of bringing a message of judgment to the people of God, people of God, calling them to repent of their wicked ways, knowing the whole time that they would not listen. And so as a church, we've been journeying through Isaiah for about 18 to 20 weeks, and we've seen so far along this journey that there is much judgment in Isaiah, but also much hope. Uh, to come for the people then and for us now. By way of a bit of background on Isaiah, Isaiah lived as a prophet in Jerusalem and he spoke to the leaders of Jerusalem on God's behalf. Uh, And God would use the surrounding nations, which uh, were Assyria and Babylon, to bring judgment on the people people of God if they continued in their rebellion. The people had given in to the temptation of idolatry. Um, there was oppression of the poor. Just wicked, wicked ways of living. And the message that Isaiah brings is really uh, a purifying fire uh, that would come through Jerusalem, would come through the nation, uh, would refine the people and, and rebuild a, a righteous and a faithful people of God. The purpose of this judgment was to restore the covenant, restore covenantal living between God and his people. And Isaiah truly believed that God would fulfill the promises that he had made, and he must have believed. I mean, why would you commit to 60 long years if it weren't for some sort of hope to come at the end? He believed that there was hope amidst this judgment, that there was a Messiah to come to set the people free uh, from oppression, 
to set them free from their lives of sin. A Messiah that would lead the people of God, lead them in lives of obedience and returning to, to covenantal life under a new covenant. Tonight we're going to be looking at chapters 34 and 35 uh, and kind of in the, in the lead up to these chapters and we've had uh, three chapters known as Isaiah's Apocalypse, uh, chapters 24 to 27, where Isaiah reveals the judgment of God upon the world. We see that the earth is defiled and that the covenant uh, that God's people were to be living under had been broken. And then we move into chapters 28 to 33 where we find six woes or six statements of alarm that Isaiah brings to the people. God's people have been unfaithful to him, refusing to trust him, building worldly alliances. They've turned to Egypt for military protection. God says that he'll deliver his message of judgment again through the surrounding nations. And only repentance from these ways and trust in the Lord will save them from their sure path of judgment and destruction. And so we come to chapters 34 and 35, which are prophecies on judgment and on promise. An oracle of judgment in chapter 34, and then a prophecy of salvation in 35. We see a desert is turned into a garden. That trusting in God can transform this wilderness into a garden. A picture is given to God's people of what it looks like to trust in God. Chapter 34 really paints a picture of of this final uh, intervention of God against the antagonists of his righteous will and purposes. And even as it may be hard to to read or difficult to comprehend, this passage really stands uh, to show that ultimately the Lord will win. He will not be conquered by his enemies. The fight between good and evil, creator and defiler, the Lord and the false gods, this fight must eventually come to an end and be resolved. And this is a, a depiction of that, res, uh, of that resolution. In this passage, Edom represents all the enemies of God's people and ultimately of God himself. And then we move into chapter 35, which thankfully exhibits God's final intervention, uh, not only of judgment but of deliverance. So that's where we're going tonight, that's where we're headed. Uh, Pray with me and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for Isaiah, for the ministry that he had, the call that you placed on his life, and Lord, for the record that we have now in scripture. Uh, Lord, we submit ourselves to your word tonight. Uh, We pray that as we open your word tonight, as we uh, look to it for guidance in our lives, uh, we speak to us. Open our hearts to receive the message you have for us tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the chapter begins, the nations are summoned, not as witnesses, but to hear their sentences handed down from God. And the chapter 34 can really be broken into two sections. The first, which is the violent outpouring of the righteous and just wrath of God. I'll read a a, a bit of that from verses 2 to 4. If you have a Bible, feel free to follow along. 
Uh, For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away and the skies shall roll up like a scroll. All their host shall flee as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. The fury of the Lord is is raging throughout the heavens and the earth. The people are to be put to death, to be exterminated, destroyed as a sacrifice. It's, it's kind of written here as a prophetic tense, uh, a future tense, but one that is certain to happen. There is certainty in these words. The Lord is not only to destroy men, but the sky and the stars also. Uh, and these were idolatrously worshipped by the people. And it goes on that the, the sword of the Lord has been turned against Edom, where man and beast are slaughtered in sacrifice uh, to appease this wrath of God. We come to verse 8 which says that there is to be a day that accounts are settled. The Lord will resolve the conflict once and for all. He will champion over Zion. So this is what's going to happen and then we see uh, later in the, in the chapter, the second part of the chapter, the aftermath of the ruin uh, in the wake of the storm. And it says from verse 9, And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulphur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. The earth is depicted in silence as the smoke moves across her. All that is left is desolation. The water turns to pitch, the land into brimstone. Pitch is this this tar or or bitumen. Um, You might think of, of bitumen in its liquid form that we make roads with. In actual fact, it's, it's the, the substance that Moses' mother used to, in, in making the basket that he was laid in. It's this thick, dark kind of muck. And this is what the water becomes. And the land, brimstone. It's burned to nothing, smoking eternally. This is the, the same picture that we had uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah when they were destroyed. There is to be none in the land. And it goes on that the only sound to be heard is that of wild animals that live where humans did not. There is a sense of of total and of everlasting desolation, uh, God's hand of judgment across the nations. In verse 11 it says, He shall stretch the line of confusion over it, and the plumb line of emptiness. The line of confusion, the line of emptiness. This is the language that was used to describe uh, the universe before God created the heavens and the earth, when God brought order into chaos, saying that 
what was order is to return to a state of chaos. And we're left with this picture of chaos, desolation, emptiness, of silence. And just as the pattern has been throughout Isaiah to this point, uh, for judgment to be offered, God always brings hope. And chapter 35 uh, is where we find this hope, this hope of, of salvation and of redemption. And we're going to read this together. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Similarly to chapter 4, chapter 35 is also kind of broken into two sections. The first, uh, God has manifested powerfully and gloriously as the deliverer of his people. New life bursts forth with the joyous praise of the Lord, glorifying God through its beauty. Uh, there's a suggestion of the, the desert blossoming and flourishing like a crocus or, or a rose, or some translations even a meadow saffron. We kind of read this and go, but there is no life in the desert. Our understanding of the desert is a, a desolate place, a place where nothing can survive. And yet this new life that comes uh, in this desert is so fruitful that it is described as if it is worshipping and praising God in his temple. We go on through, through verses 3 to 6. Deliverance is announced. And it's announced with a continuing joy. Verse 3 offers healing to hands and knees that were exhausted by being herded as prisoners. Verse 4 offers comfort to the downtrodden and hope 
and the vengeance of God against his oppressors. In the second section, the return of God's people to Zion through this highway that was formerly a desert. The theme of the fertility of the desert is really picked up in this section. The desolate land is now formed anew with pools of water and flourishing pastures for wild animals to live and dwell. The redeemed and ransomed people of the Lord fill this highway singing joyfully as they return to Zion. This highway called the way of holiness is only to be travelled by the righteous, the clean, the remnant that Isaiah has spoken of. Even those who are foolish in their redemption will not stray from this path. The Lord keeps his people on the path of righteousness. The people are redeemed out of God's loyalty and faithfulness to his promises in the covenants made with his people. And then the people are ransomed out of God's free will, grace and compassion upon the lost. There's kind of two distinctions here, the, the uh, redemption and then the ransom. The very people that broke the covenant of God, the covenant that they had with God, are offered deliverance by the grace of God. The very people that were judged are offered redemption. There is to be no more sorrow, despair or apathy at the joy of the Lord. There are three things I'd like to consider or ponder on from these two chapters tonight. And the first is, where do we turn in times of trouble? Uh, as Trent kind of unpacked for us last week, the Israelites were really in a time of trouble. The people of God were in a time of trouble. They knew that they were done for, that God was bringing judgment. And we know the choice that they made. We know the path that they took. And chapter 34 unpacks what they had. But where do we turn in times of trouble? As I said, they knew trouble was on the horizon and sought out everything apart from God. Where do we go? When we have financial troubles, do we seek to cut corners? Do we... You know, perhaps be dishonest? Or do we turn to God? Do we pray earnestly for his provision? When we have relationships break down, when we feel hurt, when we are wronged, do we seek to get even? Do we pursue this false sense of justice in the circumstance? Or do we look to the forgiveness and grace that we have in Jesus and seek reconciliation with the people involved? Do we, as the people of God did here, seek worldly alliances or pursue earthly plights? 
Or do we look to Jesus and look to the hope of the gospel for guidance? Do we turn to the Lord and seek help and solace in him? You know, the Lord cried out to his people. Isaiah, time and time again, told the people, turn, turn from your wicked ways. Come back to life with God. Come back to God. Do we hear God's voice crying out to us? Calling us to come back. Calling us to turn from the life that we're leading to come back to life with God. Do we hear that voice? And when we do hear it, how do we respond? How do we react? What choice do we make? Do we continue uh, further along paths of destruction? Do we say, as the people of God did then, you know, we'll eat and drink for tomorrow we die? Do we accept destruction? Or do we return to God? Do we acknowledge the wrong we've done? Repent come into life under his grace. Secondly, do we believe in the promises that are to come? Throughout uh, 34 and 35, we see the promise of destruction and then the promise of redemption. Do we believe that these will happen? Do we believe that despite the desolation brought on the earth, despite uh, the pain and hurt that there is in life, that there is hope, just as there was hope for the remnant? The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped, the lame man will leap, the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, a highway shall be there. These are promises that Isaiah believed, promises that are in the word promises that we can grasp and take hold of. It's so easy, uh, and our culture really drives this, it's so easy to forget these promises or lose sight of the promises that God offers us. The world today doesn't want us to be on our knees before God, earnestly turning to Him. He wants us to pursue and believe other things. Believe that success is what we should strive for. Believe that um, personal gain is what we should strive for. That if we just had this extra thing in our life, if we just had uh, you know, something else in our life, these are lies. And they just don't hold any weight when compared to the promises of God. Despite the struggles that we face every day, the temptations that pull us away from the promises of God, we do find our hope in Jesus. He promises to walk with us. He promises to take our place and that he did take our place of guilt and shame. And he promises to give us new life. Life eternal. He promises to hear our cry of help in times of struggle. And this life 
and these promises that they're not just to come, although uh, there will be uh, future in these promises. These promises are for now too. We have life now with God. Jesus promises to walk with us now in this life. Do we remember that? Do we believe that? I'm confident that Isaiah believed it. That it must have been the thing that, he, that kept him going, knowing and believing the promises that God had made. How else could he have kept going for 60 years? And thirdly, life with the Lord brings a life filled with joy. Right at the end of chapter 35, it says, Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We're called into a new life, a joyful life, but a life on a journey. It's interesting that um, we have depicted here a highway. The depiction is not a final resting place or, or a, um, some comforts to, to rest in, but it, it's a highway. The, the life that we're called to, the joyful life that we're brought into in Christ, is a journey. We're not to be stagnant, settling down in the comforts of the earth, rather constantly striving to attain greater understanding, greater knowledge of our Creator God, growing in the image and likeness of Christ. We don't become Christian and, and sit on our hands like that's it. We're ready to, ready to move on to the next life. We're brought into a life that is a journey, a life where we grow, grow in Christ. Tim Keller writes, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. There is sorrow and pain in, the world, in this world and in this life. I don't deny that. God doesn't deny that. We certainly don't um, have any denial of that in Scripture. But knowing that Jesus is walking with us, knowing that in this life we have purpose, we have something to strive for amidst the pains and sorrows, enables us to persevere and find joy. What greater joy than to know the love of our Father, to know how much we are loved, to know that He loves us so tenderly and dearly, knows our heart. He knows uh, the wicked things that we have done, that we continue to do, and yet forgives us and calls us daily to new life. What a joy to have. Will you pray with me? Lord, we do thank you so much for uh, the gift of your Son. We thank you that we can turn to you in times of trouble, that we can believe and know the promises that you have for us. 
We thank you for the life that Christ gives us. And Lord, we ask that um, as we move into the week, we come to know greater uh, who you are, what you've done for us, that we have hope uh, in this life. Lord, we ask that you continue to grow us each day when we are stricken with times of trouble, that we hear your voice calling out to us and that in those times, in those moments, that we don't turn away from you but we turn towards you. Lead us in that, Lord, each day. Lord, we just thank you so much for um, the love you have for us the life you've called us to. And we, we do just commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.